0: And welcome to Marketing to Complex Industries, presented by Godfrey, a B2B marketing agency for industries like yours. On each episode, we feature conversations about the latest challenges, strategies, and technologies for B2B marketers. I'm your host, Scott Troboth. As VP of Creative at Godfrey, I help our team unlock the amazing potential of the brands we serve. On this episode, I'm pleased to welcome Matt Snodgrass from Marketing Profs. Matt was their director of marketing up until about a year ago when he became their first ever director of community. Now, Matt sat down with me and Godfrey's executive creative director, Cliff Lewis, to talk about what that shift means for marketing profs, how they've changed their format for this year's B2B forum at which Cliff and I are speaking, and a host of other interesting topics. It was a fun hour. I think you'll enjoy. So without further ado, here's our conversation with Matt. Hi, Matt. It's good to have you on the podcast today. Hey, Scott, thanks for having me here. And Clips joining us as he does on occasion. How yes. are you doing,
1: Clips? I'm I'm doing great. It's a, it's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful it's day. To... It's good, it's good to not be in February anymore. Oh, I yes. I just I just like knowing it it's not necessarily a non-winter month, but it's not purely a winter month which is that alone just seeing that on the calendar makes me feel a little better.
0: It's true. I for those uh for those listening this uh we're recording this on the 1st of March.
1: Mm, and the yeah. sky
0: is actually blue where we are, which I is, just like uh, hearing you say that. Yeah. Yeah. 1st of March. And I always thought as a kid why why isn't that just springtime? March 1st, boom, spring, done. But instead it's like 3 more weeks before it's officially spring.
1: But, I'm wearing uh, shorts right now.
2: Yeah, I am too. Jeez, we still have snow on the ground. Are we in the same state?
0: (laughs) Uh, We still have snow on the ground too. It's rapidly (laughs) melting up. Uh, As I look out the window, I can't see it from this angle. So does it exist? I don't know. Uh,
2: My son and I built an igloo um, over the last couple weeks when it was really cold and we had a lot of snow and then it went from 20 degrees to 50s in just a span of a few days so he asked me last night if i'd go out and put a tarp on it to keep the rain on so we can keep it alive for as long as we can so currently (laughs) i have a half melted tarped igloo in my yard life
1: support
0: yeah yeah oh wow (laughs) um so matt i will say uh the the last two times that cliff and i have worked directly with you you've always had a hat on
2: this is true. Um, usually when we work together, I'm costumed up in some sort of attire. I am not today. Luckily, I'm just I'm at home. But yeah, the last uh, last couple of times we've worked together have been at the Marketing Pros B2B forum. And you guys have asked if I would dress up and uh, act in one of your skits. So I, I love doing that. I love getting up on stage with you guys and being able to help out. So yeah, it's been fun. I don't have my um, speedy delivery hat on today. I should have got it. it would have been a great prop for this podcast. I didn't even think about it until just now.
0: It, it would have been good. I saw a picture of that again recently, and I just, uh, even in a still photo, you just inhabited that role.
2: So Well, lovely. I like to really get into character for both the lines I usually have in these things. <laughs> yeah,
1: the, yeah. The, the, the characterization was excellent. And just, <laughs> just for context for, for our listeners, I, I think, uh, you know, Scott and I have done this talk a few times where we, where we present on why Fred Rogers is the patron saint of B2B. And we were delivering... We we're delivering uh, a version of that talk at the first at the 2018 B2B forum, and we we have a segment where basically a stand-in for Mr. McFeely's speedy delivery uh, arrives at the door and delivers a letter that we later read. And we needed somebody to do it. And I mean, I, I'd, I'd like to know like how that conversation went, Matt, when somebody approached you about this and said. <laughs> Like, we'd like you to be the sacrificial <laughs> lamb and dress up like a mailman.
2: <laughs> I think it I think it was Julie or Anne or someone came to me and said, hey, Godfrey needs help with, with one of their skits. Can you help? And I say, sure. Because every time something needs to be done that's just out there or random at B2B, I seem to be the one who did it. Side note, Anne wanted me to wear a unicorn costume one year, and I drew the line there because I was not... I was not wearing a skin tight unicorn costume up on stage in front of hundreds of you guys. So I do have my boundaries, but <laughs> she said, Hey, they need you to dress up and, and be a, a mailman or UPS or something. And I said, sure, sure. Yeah. That's fine. And I think if memory serves, didn't I have a UPS
0: shirt on one you, year? You did didn't We do actual UPS. Yeah. Well, I, I was like, I needed to get a mailman costume for this. And I thought, well, we're going to San Francisco in a town that size with that kind of just like, colorful personality there's no way in the world and i'm not going to be able to find a good costume shop and i called around to like six different places and nobody had a mailman <laughs> costume they just for some reason it's this thing that i guess nobody ever needs or wants to do but i, I finally found one uh down in the hate ashbury district that was a uh, a ups costume and i was like that'll do that'll that'll be perfect and uh you Absolutely brought a, uh, a, a kinetic energy to that of somebody who is on a very serious schedule. Somebody oh. who's, who's GPS tracked and evaluated based yeah. on his speed and efficiency.
1: All, all of our conversations to you prior to the moment that you actually burst into the, the convention hall uh, were very, very uh, staid and professional. And I couldn't have expected how much you would have just, you you just jumped into character at that moment. And I just remember being delighted. Well,
2: that's what we try to do. Like I said, I, I worked for literal minutes on both my lines, so I'm glad I could deliver for you guys. <laughs> but it was fun. I miss I miss being in person. I miss seeing you guys. I miss being able to to hang out annually like we do. Yeah. So I, I hope I hope soon enough we'll be back to uh,
1: some some version of normal. This we got this in lieu of that, I suppose.
0: Yeah. We yeah, we, yeah. we do yeah, and the uh, well, and the the um the one coming up, we've got uh, marketing props coming up in April. Um, tell me a little bit about how things have changed from your perspective between uh, the fall of 2019, when everything was "quote unquote" normal, and, and now, <laughs> because you've you've done a number of events and they've all been been virtual since then, correct?
2: We we have, and I mean, virtual events are not necessarily new to us. We've been doing you know webinars and weekly seminars and our Take Ten tutorials and things like that for for years, for a decade and a half. Um, so we know how to do virtual events. We've never done anything at this scale. So in in 2020, when we first, in the springtime, when we first started talking about the idea that we might not be able to get together in the fall like we normally do. And as you mentioned the last time, or a couple of years ago, it was in San Francisco and we've done Boston and we did Washington DC. So um, we just started in, in March and April of last year talking about, well, maybe things won't be back to normal. And what do we do as a contingency plan? And then as we got into the summer, we realized, yeah that dog don't hunt. We're not going to be able to make this work. So what can we do? And it was it was moving to a virtual format, which again, is something we're familiar with, but never on the scale, never a multi-day event. And the, the hardest thing for us was how do you replicate the fun and the energy and the camaraderie, the things that we just talked about? How do you emulate that when you've got hundreds and hundreds of people or thousands of people all sitting at their desks. It's it's absolutely a challenge, and it's a great challenge, but it certainly is one that we have been struggling with for years because we come out of B2B every year and we think, oh, that was fantastic, and the feedback we got was great, and oh, this was so good, and we're gonna do this differently next time, but this really worked. How can we um how can we prolong that magic? And Alan Weiss, our CEO, every year he comes out of B2B and says, Okay, we need to, you know, we need to bottle this, we need to catch this lightning in a bottle, and we need to make people feel this way. Day in, day out for the entire year, and we're like, "Oh, how do you, how do you take the magic of a two or three day event and make people feel that every single day?" So we haven't cracked that code yet, but that was our big challenge: was how do we make this a fun and engaging and memorable uh, event when people are literally, as we are now, just kind of bolted to our office chairs? And how do we make people want to stay in those seats for, for that time? Because it, it's a long day sitting there for four or six or eight hours and, and you know watching session after session after session.
0: Well, and that that feeds into your new role, if if I'm not mistaken because uh, when we first started interacting with you, we were talking to the Director of marketing uh, for marketing Profs, which you know no pressure there. But uh, now, tell me a little bit about your your new title and, and role and what that entails. Yeah, so so
2: just over a year ago, I moved into a new position at Marketing Profs as the Director of Community, um, sort of not because of this, but around the same time that this happened. And it, it turned out to be fortuitous because uh, we talked about this pre-show off the air, but we're seeing a lot more of these roles coming up of a Vice President of Community, Director of Community, folks who are actively working to engage a community, build a community because it has become, I mean, it's always been important, but it's become so much more important. Over the last 12 or 13 months, um, having a community you can fall back on, having having a brand that is part of that community. So, again, it was fortuitous that I sort of moved into this role, not because of the pandemic, but right as things were starting to happen. So I'm responsible for um, for getting people engaged, for talking pe- to people, building up our community, listening, um, you know, getting people in the doors and talking to them and figuring out what it is that people want, what they're interested in, what they want more of, what can we do better. So it's all about the idea of just of giving back and being part of something bigger than just selling a product or providing a service or having a newsletter people sign up to. And that's, I think what a lot of organizations have realized in the last year is we have a product but the product is not the end all be all we have a brand but the brand is not the end all be all all those things come together and they form this this community and so you you've got a lot more organizations who are actively working at building up a community i mean they may have lots of customers or you know thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of newsletter subscribers but taking those people and and putting them into into an actual place where they are all you know feeling accepted and feeling the same things and and want to be together is is very different. So that's one of the things that we're working on. And I was lucky in this role in that I walked into a position where we had a very good community already. There, it wasn't cohesive around any one thing per se. So there's not one gathering place. We don't have a Discord channel that everybody goes to a Facebook group, but we have a number of these things. And it's all about kind of reaching people where they want to be reached. Some people would never join a Discord or a Slack group. Some people think Facebook is a devil, and I don't want anything to do with your dirty Facebook group. Some people will never get on Twitter because it's a cesspool.
0: So it's all about trying to reach folks where they are and and where they want to talk. See, I'd always heard Twitter referred to as a dumpster fire, but then 2020 (laughs) got to be the dumpster fire. And so is (laughs) is Twitter the cesspool now? Is that... (laughs) Yeah,
2: I guess it it all depends. I mean, I I am not terribly active on Twitter. In fact, I was just scrolling through the other day and realized why why did I follow these people and how like how old was I when I followed? When did this happen? Because <laughs> I don't want this in my feed. This is not what I'm interested in anymore. And so it's an interesting sort of evolution from a personal standpoint to realize this is what I'm interested in now, and I could care less about these things that I obviously subscribed to at some point in my life, but I just I'm not interested in it anymore. So yeah, it's. I'm sorry it's really about, about uh, obviously like any social media curating what it is you want out of it
0: yeah well I think that's the important thing because so often when I've gotten on uh, recently you know there's just so much um, so many people I the, the, the trolls you know really tend to come out and that sort of thing um, and we do have power to curate that experience I mean um, you know I mean I, I know people who are very very careful about about not crafting an echo chamber um, and that sort of thing. Which I think is important, um, but the idea that you have some personal responsibility about that, and you have some personal opportunity to to craft your experience, I think is very important.
2: I think so too. And when you think about it from a from a brand standpoint, um, I talk to a fair number of folks who uh, sort of have an old school mentality of, well, this is my this is my company, and this is my product, and if you don't like it, that's fine. I understand that my product is not for you. But you shouldn't pick and choose my company because of a a social campaign I'm running or because of something that we believe in as an organization or something we support a social cause. You should should interact with us because you like and need our service. You like and need our product. And I think that's, you know, fundamentally, I think that's a, a little bit of an archaic way of thinking. Because what we've seen over the last several years and really ramped up in the last year or two is that customers flock to organizations that they think, that they feel have sort of the same alignment as they do, whether it's mm-hmm. social causes or campaigns or giving back or doing good or whatever it is. They they want to work with companies that they feel have their same interests in mind. So it's not enough to just have the, if you build it, they will, will come mentality anymore. Um, people are really looking for organizations that, feel the same way and believe in the same things they do. So, as a brand and as an individual, that's an important thing to realize. and i I have probably been a little bit slower on the uptake, given you know i'm I'm an older generation. I'm in my mid 40s. so i'm not, I haven't been raised on social media, and it's not ingrained in me per se. Um, and so I've probably been a little slower on the uptake, but i I see the value there, and I'm actively trying to make these changes. And, you know, I'm active. We're working on this at Marketing Pros all the time is trying to figure out, you know, what is it that we do and, and what's our reason for being? Simon Sinek gives a great TED Talk on why, and we always yeah. talk about the why, right? I mean, it's, it's fantastic. And it's such a great exercise that every organization really should try to go through and, and figure out what your why is.
0: I've, uh, I've talked to a number of college students who are getting into marketing or they're getting into design. And every time I talk about Simon and I draw those circles and uh, and talk about it where so many companies do it from the outside in, and he talks about doing it from that core, uh, from the from the inside out to where the outside of it can almost be any product or service. Yes. As long as you're as you're really consistent. And it always you just see the light bulbs turn on and I'm like, I got to you before you got out of college. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That's uh that's a really, really satisfying. Yeah.
2: I wish I had someone, you know, when I went through, through my MBA program for marketing, Um, I wish I had someone who, who talked that way. I wish that information was there, but nobody was at the time and it was all, you know, here's the four P's and you got to learn your financial basics and things like that. But there was no, there was no push on the emotion and the feeling of things and know, I, I can't think that this was just a new invention that happened when Simon Sinek gave his talk, right? There have been people who have been keyed into this forever, but it just hasn't made its way into sort of the mainstream curriculum. So I wish, I, you know, I wish desperately that that's something I had known 20 years ago.
0: It, it's a deceptively simple message uh, to the point that it's almost like going to uh, some Zen master, right? Where it just <laughs> yeah. seems so simple and so clear, but it you, you've got to push through a lot of nonsense to get there. I think.
2: And as you said, it, it makes total sense. Like when you said you saw that light bulb go out and the first time, you know, we discussed this internally, there was so, not go out, go on. <laughs> and when we when we first discussed this internally, you know, to the folks who hadn't heard it, we saw the same thing. Like, yes, this makes sense. It's just, it does take a lot of work to get through it and to figure out what that is. But when you get there, it really is,
0: it, it resonates. So that's what we've been working on a lot for the past year. That's really, really cool that's really good and I, I think that uh, you know one of the things that, that I like from engaging with your brand and it's something that we try to do with Godfrey as well is is to be um, you know completely authentic when we are are operating with people and to really lean into the joy and the excitement that we have in um, in helping to make the world a better place you know through marketing because so often we get um, we, we get this idea that, that, that marketing uh, we can be very cynical about it uh, and I'm, I'm guilty of, of having done that as well because so many people have done it poorly for so long uh, and they've, they've done it they've done it a bit greedily um, but to to actually market in a way that's authentic and you're actually trying to make the world a better place um, it does I think create that community it creates that that sense of of belonging and um and synergy. Oh, that's a terrible word to use. Well, you know
2: what I mean? <laughs> oh, are we playing buzzword bingo right now. <laughs> I'm marking
0: off synergy. Simpatico. There, better. <laughs> Perfect. I like
1: it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's. Go ahead, Cliff. Yeah, I was I was gonna say. I mean, that whole idea of finding your why, and you mentioned that you've been you've been looking more closely at that than than ever before over the last year um what do you feel like you've discovered like what do you feel like you've you've learned that you hadn't quite considered before over the course of the last very tumultuous year it yeah. it now being march we can pretty much say the last year
2: yep i definitely think that we have found that it's okay to say no hmm. and in our in our marketing team we had We've been saying that for years, you know, kind of internally to to our small group of marketers that we know that our product and our service and our brand is not for every single marketer out there. And that's okay. Historically, we've had the mindset of we just want, we want this to be a community of everyone. We want to get every single marketer through the door. We want every single marketer to, you know, to read the newsletter and to listen to the podcast and take a course and subscribe to this and do everything. And we've been saying, you know, among our small group for years that we don't have to be everything to everyone. It's okay to say no to people. But it really wasn't until we started digging into this that we realized, you know what? We It is okay. We can be comfortable by saying no. And there are marketers who, who our content is not for, who our product is not for, who our brand is not for, who we don't create for them specifically and we don't appeal to them. And we have to be okay with being able to say no. And we have to be able to, we have to be okay with people saying this isn't for me. I mean, every time, I don't want to say every time, but whenever someone would unsubscribe and send a note into customer support and saying, I didn't, I unsubscribe for this, or I don't like this, or this isn't for me, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. We would read that and the management team would, would see that. And we would always take that personally. And it would be like, okay, what can we do? How can we, how can we get this person back? What can we do? And you can't chase after every one of those. And you just have to give yourself permission to say no. I feel like I've repeated that phrase 30 times in the last two minutes, but that's one of the big, yeah. that's one of our big takeaways is, is that
0: it's all right to not be for everybody. Mm-hmm. I, I think that makes, because you'd rather have a, a smaller group of diehards than Absolutely. a broader group where you've got a lot of, a, a lot of people who are kind of half on half off. Um, it reminds me, I, I, I did a little brief talk uh, not long ago about um, Herb Kelleher, the uh, original CEO from Southwest Airlines, and there was there was a story about a woman who just unfairly and very meanly uh, you know, wrote this letter about why she was never going to fly that airline again, and and all these these really just almost silly reasons why she just hated it. And he wrote back to her personally and just said, "We'll miss you." <laughs> and, yeah, uh, and you know usually when people will will do anything at all costs to keep someone's loyalty it you know it, the attitude was just like honestly it doesn't sound like we're a fit and and um, I, it's okay to just not talk to me that way anymore <laughs> we'll part ways um
2: and, and that's the tough thing to do as a brand is to is to be okay with that and to yeah. give ourselves permission to say it's okay if if Scott wants to leave and not be part of this community I understand and I'm not taking it personally I don't know if you guys have um, watch the show on Amazon called the Amazon Amazon (laughs) called the boys. It's a pretty, it's a pretty rough uh, superhero TV show. It's pretty, pretty graphic, but I just, I I finished watching season two a couple of weeks ago. And in one episode, two superheroes are talking and one of them says, you know, I want everyone in America to love me. I am the, I'm the symbol of America. I want them all to love me. And the other one says, no, you don't need 320 million people to love you. You need 5 million people to be angry and to want to take action. Hmm. And it goes back to exactly what you said, is that we don't need to have every single person. We need to have a, a small niche, or it can even be a large niche, but a, a, a group of people who are passionate about what we do. We don't want them angry, but we want to be people who are passionate about what we do, who agree um, with the things that we stand for and, and feel that we as an organization, as a brand, are in alignment with them. And those are the folks who are going to help move the needle, who are going to really, really help you know, propel your company to greatness.
0: Yeah, I, Seth Godin talked about that, I think, in Tribes, which uh, was, yep. was the book, where you know he, he said, like for an individual, if you get 1,000 people who will buy everything you do sight unseen because they just love you, um, you can make a living at that. You quit your job, yeah. you're good, yeah. and yeah. you go be a content creator. Uh, you know, For a company, I think that number is different, but it's true that it, it does not have to be everybody. It, it really doesn't.
1: So I'm kind of curious, uh, Matt, you talked about trying to find ways to capture the magic and the sense of the sense of community, the sense of like that professional fellowship that happens when you get a bunch of people together at, at, the, at the B2B forum. Um, and you did have you've had at least one major virtual event uh, last fall. Um, how, how did how, what did you do to try to recapture some of that feeling? And I'm just curious to hear like, you know what what about it worked better than you would have expected? Um, what what about it didn't quite work? I think there are probably a lot of B two B listeners who, in various ways, probably not at the scale of marketing profs, probably smaller scales than that. But you know, a lot of B two B marketers create uh, smaller, very targeted industry events or customer events that they're having to try to manage virtually. So I, I think it'd be interesting to hear about you know what worked, what didn't. You know, yeah. So we
2: started by taking everything we knew about, we've been doing the B2B forum for 13, 14 years. Um, we took everything we knew about it and we blew it up. We broke it down and we said, okay, when we are in real life, in physical places, with physical people, what works? What doesn't work? What has been a home run? What has been eh, okay, but not great? Let's look at all these things and sort of arrange these things. And we found a couple of things. People like to be, engaged with the speaker. We found that out, first of all. Well, there's only so much engagement you can have with the voiceover PowerPoint, right? I mean, we're all experiencing Zoom fatigue. We've been talking about Zoom. I mean, Zoom kicked off really in huge in March of last year. And I think by April, we were talking about Zoom fatigue already. So this is not a new concept. (laughs) So rather than having just sort of a static presentation where either I am presenting to you and you're sitting there listening, we pre-recorded every presentation. And the first the first thought was, "Oh God, that's even worse than voiceover PowerPoint because no one wants to come in and just watch a video. They want at least some modicum, some feeling that this is live." But we we flipped the script a little bit and we had the speaker in that room live in chat. So we were doing a watch party with the speaker, mm. and we were lucky enough to have um, we had tested this out with some other events that we were working on, completely unrelated to B two B. We just thought we would try this watch party and. I had no idea how this, we had no idea how this would work because what, what are people going to think? It was, it was beyond a home run. I mean, people loved it because you're watching the video, but you also have the speaker who is, you know, normally when there's a Q and A happening, you might have someone, okay, I'm going to stop. Let's stop the pod and see what questions have come through in Q and A. There was no having to stop the conversation. There was, you could still be listening and catch what's going on and then talk with the speaker. In real time, right there. Mm-hmm. So we had our speakers available in the Q and A, and they were, you know, they were live. They had their little um, cameras up, and they were talking. And we had a moderator. Um, we had a half a dozen of us who were moderating e- each of the different sessions that were running concurrently. So you had some marketing prof staff in there you could talk to. You had each other you could talk to. You had the speaker. It was just an absolute smash. And we were, frankly, we were nervous as hell. We didn't know how that was yeah. going to go over. Yeah. Um, and we were tickled by it. So the watch party is a new format going forward because people loved it. And the, the thing about it is um, one of our speakers, and I, I apologize, I cannot remember who it was, but they made the comment after the fact, well, of course it worked. Think about it. If you were if you were watching a movie and you had Matt Damon that you could chat to and you're watching his movie, how cool would it be? And I don't know if they were you know, equating themselves with Matt Damon <laughs> from a marketing standpoint, <laughs> but it was something that we hadn't thought about. Like, yeah, you have this famous or you know at least famous in the marketing world person that you have access to while you're watching
0: their movie that's really cool it gives a sense of connection yeah i i was gonna say i one of my greatest movie watching experiences was uh going out to easton pa to a really nice theater to see blazing saddles and it was hosted by mel brooks himself this was a couple of years ago yeah And, and uh it was there was a different energy in the room knowing that he was down there somewhere i was up in the balcony but knowing that he was in the room somewhere and he was watching it too and then he was going to talk to us about it afterwards guy by the way got up i mean he's in his 90s he got up and talked for an hour and a half and got more (laughs) animated as time went on but this is the equivalent of sitting down next to him and asking a question and he's like you know saying smart alecky stuff to you and, and making you laugh like that would be a completely different experience. It's, uh, it's like the director's commentary on the DVD, but you know, like live and, and there's, and there's Q and A involved. So I, I do think that's great because you, you have, you have the access while you're hearing arguably a more polished version of the presentation.
1: This, this is fascinating to me. And what I, what I like that, that anecdote is I'm, I'm really glad I asked you because I, I love that story. And, what what's really interesting is i've i've been in a, in a couple of uh virtual conferences since the pandemic uh one of which i think just i think it was one uh i presented at scott and i both presented and and uh i i've seen how it's they they, they were all live the presentations were live when we delivered and then live when i was a spectator i was at a uh, digital summit last week and and all of those, all those situations, there are all these times where the um, the chat people were asking questions. They're addressing them to the speaker, and as if the speaker was was seeing the questions in some way. And the speaker was, you could tell. And I, this is what happened with with me when I was presenting. You can't see those things when you're presenting. And honestly, you wouldn't want to. You're trying to you're trying to get through all your material. You're trying to stay within time, and you know you don't really have time to stop. So. So all these questions are coming through and they're just kind of like just blasting them out into the void. And eventually the moderator, you know, with whatever time is left in Q&A, they can scrape through it and pull up some of the questions and try to address them. Um, but the idea of the, the watch party and, and that chat format becoming the the place of interaction makes, makes so much sense because one of the most human moments in those virtual conferences is it's so delightful it's so wholesome and so pure when when a session starts and people start going hi from delaware hi from miami hey i'm hi hi from detroit and everybody's just like it's just it's a, it's kind of adorable because like these people don't have like much they don't have any plans to like really network they're not going to exchange business cards but they just have this desire this innate desire to just say hi this is where i'm from and 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 there's actually like a lot of humanity in those chats and people will sometimes they'll someone will make a comment and someone will agree with their comment and it's actually a great it's actually pretty rousing discussion that's happening in parallel to this this live presentation so i find that interesting the other thing that makes me think about is is how you you to your point you would expect that making it live makes it feel more like a real interaction makes it feel more like being at the conference itself um yet yet you're it never will be and so i found that I've, I've noticed that there have been a lot of communication platforms that have performed way better than you would have thought they would during the pandemic because they're there they have limitations to them like so audio has had this huge boom um between uh like apps like Clubhouse that everybody's talking about or Discord but then also podcast use this 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 stat was wild to me that that podcast listening has has been has increased by a really significant margin during the pandemic you would totally i would totally think it would go down because you'd have less people commuting and you'd have less people going places so they would have less use of of like a platform that uh, helps you engage with content while you're doing other things and you're out and about. People are not out and about as much. Um, podcast use has gone up, and I think it could be it ties in the the Zoom fatigue. I think a little bit that you know we we have these virtual interactions that they're they're sort of counterfeit real world real life interactions, human to human interactions. They're kind of giving us the best approximation of it that we can. We can get, but you, but we're losing so much in those, uh, so much of the authentic human interaction. That I think when you limit some of the dimensions, you limit the visual dimension. Perhaps you go to you go on a, a platform like Clubhouse, and you're just you're just it's just your voice. You go on Discord, it's just voices. Um, you you almost something's gained because you're you're just limiting. You're you're helping to focus on one attribute of the interaction, and so I think that that to me. That really the watch party concept really ties in with that whole phenomenon because you've limited something, and but it's sort of like you've scaled your ambitions and created a context where people within that context can have a really good, like a really good lively interaction. I I think part of it um, going back to
2: to talking about podcasts for a second, because podcasts are, podcasts are my favorite thing, um, just in the world, favorite way to consume content, mm-hmm. hands down. I think, you know, for me personally, I, you know, when, when you're trapped in a house with the same people for a long duration and you're not allowed to do anything, it's, it's a means of escape, right? It's, it's just, I can put my headphones in for a half an hour or an hour and listen to something and not be sitting at my desk working, but, but, but just take a break and let me sort of, zone out. So it's from a selfish standpoint, I really appreciate it.
1: Mm-hmm. But
2: the other side of that is, uh, is, you know, I listen to podcasts and it always takes me probably longer than I need to, to get in and start feeling a podcast. Some people can jump in and say, Oh, I've listened to two and I love it. It's a great podcast. I, it takes me a while to get into something. But when I do invariably, I feel connected with the, the host, like there's a connection that, so you feel like, you know, that person. And the more of these episodes you listen to, the more you feel like you know them and whether you whether you actually do know this person or not you've there's that feeling of sameness there's that feeling of oh i know what that person's going through oh i've been in that same position oh i've heard about their life experience and i have similar life experiences there's a connection that's made, and I think that goes back to that watch party as well, because you're not just hearing someone talking at you, right? Someone is talking to you, and you're able to have that dialogue that goes back and forth. So I think it's an added dimension of of that watch party that's that's really fun there. Yeah,
1: I mean, you just put out a survey. You're literally duplicating just, the person. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> you're cloning. Yeah, it's
2: true. I put out a survey on LinkedIn. Just, I just needed a LinkedIn post uh, two weeks ago, and I couldn't think of anything. I was just having a just garbage day and couldn't think of anything pithy to put out. So I thought, the hell with it. I'll just throw up a survey. And the question was, what is your favorite way to consume content? Is it reading, you know, books, blogs, articles, that sort of thing? Is it watching videos, webinars, courses, or is it listening, podcasts, audiobooks? And you know, I'm I'm ninety percent. Audio, that's my jam. I love it. Mm-hmm. I was surprised that only fourteen people, fourteen percent of people, said that because, as you said, I would feel like right now in the last year, this would be the time when audio usage has just really skyrocketed. And I was, I'm constantly disappointed because every time I ask our audience about those numbers, that's what I see. It's a really abnormally low podcast and audio number. But I wasn't surprised. But I just,
0: I wish that number would go up in our audience, the people who are uh, are uh, you know yeah. marketing
2: pros folks.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, and and the interesting thing for me, because I've, I've probably tripled my podcast listening in the past year and and prior I would do it while I was, while I was working. But a lot of times it was like radio shows that I didn't want to tune into. Didn't want to like, you know, wait for two o'clock on a Saturday afternoon to listen to this American life or something. I just go binge the podcasts while I worked. And, uh, and that was really great because you could just get steeped in all these stories and, and everything. But I've I've gotten into like this past week, um, I I had bought uh, Matthew McConaughey's new book, uh, which is a memoir. And it's really fascinating. It's written really the way that only he could write it. But I had noticed that he was on every single podcast that had more than six listeners. Like he just took the time and went everywhere. And I thought, I'm going to pick. Four different podcasts from four completely different genres that are all talking with Matthew McConaughey and they listen to how they interact with him and how he interacts with them. So I, I listened to uh, he was on uh, Business Made Simple with Donald Miller mm-hmm. and he was on like uh, one with uh, Dax Shepard and you know they 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 were coming at it from that Hollywood perspective. So they had all these anecdotes and different stories and it was fascinating because you get this like four dimensional look at somebody. Especially when it's somebody that you feel like you know because McConaughey is one of those people who's just so consistent in, uh, yeah. and, and so authentic. And you just get – you get a richer experience from it. And, and that's what I like about podcasts, that you can, you can um, listen to sometimes the same people or you can listen to a variety of different people talk about the same thing and just get completely different perspectives on it. Matthew McConaughey did not come on our podcast. I'd like to point that
2: out. You know, to be fair, you haven't asked him though, right? No. So, I mean,
1: it's all in the ask. <laughs> yeah. It's all in the ask. That's got to be on our uh, 2021 bucket list for sure.
0: I, I can guarantee all three of us are trying not to do an impression of him right now.
1: I have, uh, I've resisted the word all right at least three times. <laughs> I hope it's three times.
0: There there was a meme going around where where people were reading passages out of his book in his voice, and he was reposting them like crazy and like like that's and like laughing his head off. He's like, you guys are awesome. Yeah. Keep 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 doing this to me, please. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. Like, he's got his
2: brand, and he's you know, yeah. he's not afraid to interact with folks and in a good-natured way, and you know, make light of himself. And that's not not that we should all make a mockery of our own brands, but it's it's refreshing when you have a brand interacting, you know, as a person yeah. or as a human, right? And this is we've all been saying it. We have to humanize our brands. We have to grow our community. There's all these. The buzzwords like synergy that we've been talking about and humanizing our brand is a, is a huge phrase, but it's really it really is refreshing as an individual to be able to to interact with a brand who takes themselves seriously but not too seriously. And so that's you know that's what we are trying to do at marketing process. Is yes, we believe that learning changes lives. We are serious about learning, but boy, we better be able to have some fun while we're doing it, or we're doing something wrong.
0: Yeah. To be serious about what you believe, but not serious about yourself. Yes, um, exactly. Right? And and I, I think uh, like I put that on a crest. <laughs> you should make a T-shirt out of that. We yeah. could. It's stickers. So you know, moving forward, uh, you know, current current landscape for everything. Um, we've we've talked about a, a number of I think really important elements, including the power of audio. And if, if brands aren't doing that, uh, it, it's an area. of untapped potential in that in that case because i think that um uh we all got so starved last year for overheard conversation happened upon conversation right i mean you're not walking through the audio the the office overhearing something and stopping to make a joke or to ask a question um you're not going to cocktail parties and and getting to just discuss things with people um you know we're, we're not even yeah we were just doing so much less of that, and I think that's why audio helps so much. I think that's part of I think that's part of what drove me uh, to it because you know just to have the diversity of conversation uh, in my head, even if I wasn't able to participate, was helpful. What other kinds of um, advice would you have for brands right now uh, as we're as we're slowly starting to get back to to the way that we remember things? One of the things that we have
2: noticed um, in the first six months of things, but it still continues today, is that people are shifting from a mentality of sort of a what's in it for me mentality to a safety mentality. And of course we're talking about individual, you know, actual real life safety mentality of making sure you don't get sick and taking care of those that do and taking care of yourselves. But also there folks have been looking for brands who as we talked about, you know, support and believe in the same things that they do, but also are going to be there for them. They're looking for that brand safety, and they're looking for organizations that are are going to say, "Hey, you know what? We're going to help you through this. We're all in this together. We'll hold your hand if you need us to. We'll walk this path together, and we are do, we are in the same spot as you are." And folks are very much looking for brands they they can connect with um, from that perspective. So, I would say. If you have an audience who is, you know, if, if you are serving an audience that has experienced hardship, which I think just about every company probably is, find ways to make those connections. Find ways to, uh, here's a buzzword again, to to be authentic and to make it clear to your folks that, yeah, we are all in the same boat and we're experiencing hardships just the same as you are because it bridges that gap and it brings that connectivity there. Because when I hear, um, you know, I, here's a great example. I, we we booked a trip. Uh, we've been talking about going to Ireland for a year. We booked a trip. We were supposed to leave in July of this year. I don't know if it's going to happen. It may or may not. Just got an email about an hour ago that said, "Hey, we're really sorry. You're, we have to cancel your flight because we are no longer flying this route. We are going to fly from Boston into Shannon in Ireland, and they're no longer they're no longer flying that route. And they said, you know, due to the financial strain and the heart the business hardships that we've experienced." you know, we have to cancel this. It breaks our heart to do this. We're going to try to get you a a similar flight with one of our partners or somewhere else. And my first response was, oh man, this sucks. And I was pissed off because I had this plan and we bought the tickets and whatever. But then I realized they are being vulnerable. They are showing like, they're admitting, yes, we are struggling right now. Mm. We are not a, a, a big corporate monolith. We are just like you, right? We had plans that we thought were going to happen in 2021 and they didn't for financial reasons, for business reasons, for pandemic reasons, but we're in the same boat and it sucks for you. It doubly sucks for us because now we have you know thousands and thousands of views who we have to send this letter to. Yeah. But again, my initial reaction was this was really crappy, but then I read the email and thought this is actually a very, very well-written an authentic letter. And it didn't come from the president. It didn't come from the vice president of operations. It just came from, um, I think it just came from their customer support or their brand in general. Mm. Yeah. But I thought, wow, this was, this was really, uh, uh, I guess a good moment out of a bad moment because I stopped and I thought and I realized, okay, I get it. I make that connection. Things suck for everybody. They suck for you guys too. So, that's important. It's it's important to show that you can be vulnerable. And so again, we talked about earlier giving yourself permission to say no. It's okay to give yourself and give your brand permission to share. We don't have to be the great and powerful Oz behind this curtain all the time. Hmm. People want to see our foibles. People want to see when we screw up. We had part of part of what we what we at Marketing Pros decided to do last March when things kicked off and, and things got real ugly and things were shut down and people were losing jobs, was we were going to put together a giving back campaign. And, you know, full disclosure here, we took a significant revenue hit by not having our event live. It's just the reality of it. Yeah. So we didn't have money to put into an actual you know, paid giving back campaign where we could support something. So we tried to think of, well, what can we do internally? So we decided that each quarter, we're going to at least have one, if not two, or sometimes three free giving back events for the entire community. So um, our chief content officer, Ann Hanley, did like a, I don't know, three or four long ask me anything event from her tiny house in, the, in her backyard about writing. So we know writing is big for marketers. She just had people come join her and spent hours. She gave a presentation and then spent hours asking or answering people's questions. Just And she stayed there until everyone was gone. Just answered a question after question after question. Our um, our CEO, Alan Weiss, is big into mindfulness. So he put on a virtual mindfulness session mm-hmm. and it, it broke our system. We had too many people register for it. So we actually had to split it out into six different groups because so many people signed up for it. We've had a couple open house days where we have just opened the doors to our library and said, you know what? Everything you would normally have to pay for is free today. So come in, sign up for any course you want, take any sessions you want, anything you want is free. Mm-hmm. We had, so that was the backstory to, to my real story, which was in January, we had a career day event. And we thought, well, this is this is great. We're going to sort of capture the momentum of moving into a new year of 2021. We're going to get some great speakers, and we're going to talk about how you can get your resume updated, how you can um, find new jobs because a lot of marketers are hurting for jobs, how you can put LinkedIn to you to work for you and use it as efficiently as possible. We had this whole session set up, and we had about 4,000 people registered for it. The day of the event comes, and I don't know the number. We probably had eight or 900 people in the lobby waiting for that first session. And the tool we were using, the app we were using crashed. Literally the doors would not open. Mm. We couldn't get people into the session. We couldn't play the session. We couldn't record the session. So we fought that for about 40 minutes, um, 45 minutes before, and it was an hour long session. We fought it about 45 minutes until we just decided, sorry guys, we we can't do this. What happened was amazing because <clears throat> We had people in this lobby and I was there as a moderator and we had Kim, my coworker, who was also there. And we were both in the background trying to frantically get this going, but people were asking what was happening. And so we had some standard text that we were copying and pasting in and we were explaining that we're working on this. There's, there's technical problems and we're trying to figure out what's going on with this app we were using. And it was, unfortunately, the app itself just went down. The company that said, sorry, we have to reboot our servers and it's going to take a while. But what, what happened, we got to a point where other people in the audience were then explaining when someone would ask a question, we'd have people chime in and say, here's what happened. Marketing profs working on it. Uh, Matt said this. He, this is copy pasted from Kim's response ahead uh, up above. And so we got to a point after you know 15 or 20 minutes of this where our community was taking over. And they were actually doing support for us. And they were saying, everybody just hang tight. They're aware. They know that it's not playing yet. Because even at 15, 20, 25 minutes after people were coming in, I'm not seeing anything. What's wrong? Mm -hmm. So our community stepped up. And that's not something that you can make happen. That's just sort of an organic development. And to your point earlier, I'm sorry, I don't remember if it was Scott or Cliff who said this, but one of you guys said, you know, they're not in chat exchanging business cards. That's exactly what started happening. Because the the session was about how to optimize your LinkedIn profile. So people were starting to share LinkedIn profiles and say, I'd love to get connected to more marketers. We had hundreds and hundreds of people sharing their LinkedIn connections through there. And we got so many emails after the fact that said, hey, this didn't work and sorry it didn't work, but I just want to let you know, I made some amazing connections because the session didn't go off. Hmm. And that is nothing that you can script, nothing you can have a contingency plan for. It's completely organic and it's all about building up and making a great
0: community. See, that... That's what happens when nobody can leave their house, um, and you still have the experience of getting stuck in an elevator. Yeah, basically. And <laughs> yep. how many, you know, how many times have you have you met somebody who is in business and they're they're doing something really cool? They've got this partnership with somebody uh, that's working really well, and the way that they met is some really just cockamamie story like that. And you you have no idea how you may have affected the course of some people's lives. Um, just by keeping the waiting room open while you were experiencing technical difficulties. I love that. I love that. that, And
2: that's what, you know, it's okay as a brand to share stories like that, to say, yeah, we had a pretty, I mean, this was our preeminent, this was our big kickoff event to launch 2021 and it flopped. We get it. We know. We were able to recover in the afternoon of that day, but our first couple of sessions were just borked. So, but people, you know, they don't like to to, um, wallow in misfortune, but they do like to hear, you know what? this company, this brand, this this group of people, they have the same struggles I do. We're all struggling with the technology yeah. and we're all struggling with things breaking on us and how can we make this virtual thing seem less virtual?
0: So again, we're all in this boat together. That's really cool. So uh, looking for those serendipitous opportunities, um, I, I think requires an eye for it. It, it requires, uh, in a case like that, you had a community that you, uh, collectively have crafted for quite some time you, you've really been a, a greenhouse for that i've i've experienced it um in a, in a number of of, of uh, events and and in a number of ways um but also just being like you said vulnerable right uh vulnerable enough to to just hang with it and and be honest and and talk about that um it does humanize you it, it humanizes you as as a group of people who are doing your best to serve your customers.
2: Yeah, it's very easy to own your successes. It's very easy to own when something really goes well. It's a hell of a lot harder to own when something flops. Right. But by doing that, that endears you to to that very same audience you're trying to serve because you know, oh these are real people and they're facing real problems just like yep. I am.
1: Yep.
0: Well, you know, honestly, uh, we're, we're almost at time and I was, I was going to ask you if you had one piece of advice for people, uh, you know, what would it be? But honestly, it sounds like that that would be it. <laughs> that would be it. Yeah. It would be, it
2: would be just own it. Um, yeah. whatever it is, you know, good, bad, ugly mm-hmm. warts and all own it and don't be afraid to share it. That's fantastic.
0: Um, great. Uh, Cliff, I, I don't know if you have any, uh, any parting thoughts or insights,
1: no, just um I'm looking forward to uh April 7th through 8th. That's the uh that's the April that's the um the next B2B forum. Um so that's that's the watch party, I guess that's going to be that same format. So Scott and I are excited to to record ours this week and uh can't get before before we go, can we talk about that for a minute? Yeah,
0: yeah, sure. I, w-
2: I want to ask, so you guys are presenting on wonderfully weird ideas, right? Yeah. And and I'm, I've read your description, and I think, well, it's how to catch, tame, and train them. So obviously, you're going to be talking about Pokemon somewhere in there. I feel like it has to be if we're talking about catching, taming, and training. But
0: can we talk weird ideas for a second just before we go? Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. What? Um. Do you, do you see what just happened, Cliff? He turned the tables on us, and I... now he's the host.
1: I flipped I the know, script and I, I I'm Matthew. In Matt you over the guys podcast. Here. <laughs> no, um, I, I love I'm, this. I'm I, here for this. I'm, I'm nervous, so I I,
2: I want to know, like, what do you what do you guys define as a weird idea? Give me give me a weird idea
1: that you have seen, experienced, come up with on your own. Oh man, I mean, we've come up with a lot, but I mean, the, <laughs> yeah. the idea, the, the concept is is you know you look at a lot of the most. The most uh, legendary advertising and marketing communications in in history, in advertising history, and a lot of them, whether it's like "Think Small," "Where's the Beef," uh, "Old Spice," "Poopery," um, yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, you KFC, name it. KFC, KFC
0: rearranging their letters to make you F-C-K. think F-C-K. a swear word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, like all like all of these legendary campaigns. Like one of the things, everything Geico's ever done. Like all of these legendary campaigns. Like one of the common elements that shows up so often throughout advertising history is, is weird, something that's just absolutely bizarre. And I think a lot of marketers look at that stuff and they feel so disconnected from how that kind of thinking comes about, how those ideas get sold. Because I mean, I often find myself thinking the same thing. Like, how, how do you sell that? How do you how do you convince decision makers? How do you convince the C-suite to buy an idea that's as, as bizarre as this? Um, and obviously the fact that we all know these that I could just reference, where's the beef, think small, old spice, like, and we all know the campaigns that I'm talking about, you know, it's a testament to the fact that these are, these are powerful ideas. So Scott and I have done, done this kind of thinking a lot and, and exclusively we've been doing it in the B2B space. So, you know, we've, we've rebranded, um, and by, and by weird, by the way, if you take the dictionary definition, it really just means unusual. Um, and in fact, it's got this more ar- archaic, uh, definition that, you know, if you go into like the Oxford English dictionary or something, it basically means like magical, um, almost supernatural. And so, so we've gotten to play with this with some of our clients and, uh, you know, we've had, we have a water chemistry, manu- water chemistry manufacturer, um, that we rebranded several years ago and they, we basically gave them the, the entire brand aesthetic of like um these like astronauts from the future um they're a company called selenus and you know and and it and it it seemed when we first came up with the idea it seemed like well why would you why would that be the angle to brand this water chemistry company um but it really made sense because it was grounded in a very sound strategy and messaging strategy about a highly advanced service and support that these people are like a crew That show up to help you solve your problems that's what we were hearing from their their customers so you know we we gave them that brand and it's it's really stuck as like a a cultural rallying point for their company ever since um now we've i mean that's that's the one that first comes to mind for me as as something that you know we really it took some doing to present that in just the right way um and and both internally and then ultimately to the client um to really get everybody on board and and i think everybody's Glad that ultimately glad that we did. but you know we've we've done a lot of that. So that talk the talk is very much about how do you how do you get groups of people together? How do you ideate toward those kinds of ideas? How do you come up with them in such a way that they are deeply meaningful? Because the other reason that we remember all those weird campaigns so well is because they actually meant something. They weren't they weren't just dadaist nonsense. Um, they had a core message that they were advancing. So how do you come up with ideas? That are weird and memorable and unexpected, but also meaningful. And then, how do you sell them through in your organization? How do you sell them through to decision makers? And so that's kind of that's what it's all about. Sorry, Scott, I did all the talking. I promise I won't when we present.
0: (laughs) And and what I would say, I I can I can divulge this that one of the secrets to that is that you have to have a status quo in place in order to do it. So Mm -hmm. uh, and you know we we talked about this in 2019. It's really about rebelling it's it's a it's about rebellion um in a way that that pushes uh that pushes people to think differently and think in a new way about a product or service or about their industry and when you start to engage in that kind of thinking and still do it with meaning and i think that's important um but you're essentially just looking for ways to defy expectations to get to a deeper sense of meaning so what you're doing at that point is you're you're differentiating your brand uh, but you're also entertaining and challenging the audience and they love it they love it because you respect them enough to try and pull something and uh and and everybody gets that little glint in their eye and they're like did you see this yeah right mm-hmm. and and that's and that's where that's where the magic is and um so there's there's that uh there's that that sense of sort of thumbing your nose at convention, uh, that I think is is built into everybody to some degree.
2: All right, my last question before I turn this rocket ship back over to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> during your during your talk at the BB Forum in April, um, will I be asked to
1: wear any
0: hats? No, I don't. think, Well, wait, Cliff, did we cut that?
1: I think we cut the mat the mat bit. <laughs> yeah, because we only have about twenty minutes, so.
0: That's true. Well, I can't wait. It's, it's going to be awesome, guys. I look forward to it. Uh, yeah, we're, um, we're we're hoping to hoping to try some things that, that people would definitely not expect in this form of presentation. Um, and that yeah. is all I'll say about it. <laughs> can't wait. All right. Matt, thank you very, very much for uh, taking the time out and uh, traveling such a great distance to come and sit with us today. Uh- I did have to move from
2: my bedroom down to my office for this, so <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. It was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, we appreciate it. Yeah, thanks a lot. Marketing to Complex Industries has been presented by Godfrey, a B2B marketing agency for industries like yours. Godfrey is built for technical products, discerning buyers, and intricate buying cycles. For more information, visit us at godfrey.com.